Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Well, happy Easter. Wow, that was rough. That was rough. Hey, you know, so I'm looking around today and I am seeing so many new faces, people I've never met before. So if I don't get the opportunity to personally meet you, I just want to welcome you to Grace Harvest Church and tell you what a privilege and an honor it is to have you here and let you know that we've prayed for you and we continually pray that God will meet people that are first-time guests here and that He'll make Himself real to you and show up and, and show off like He can, like God can, because God is God. There's no one like Him. Amen? And today we celebrate the greatest event in the history of the world. And you may not realize that, but literally the hinge event in human history is the reality that a man beat death once and for all, and Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And He's alive, and He's in our midst. And as you're going to hear in the message I have for you today, when we talk about Him, when we're hanging out together and talking about Him, He comes along side of us and he shows up and he reveals himself to us. So we're going to see that he is here today. He's in this room right now. He's among us. He's indwelling those who love him by his Holy Spirit. And uh, he's going to make himself real to us today. He's going to meet us in the scripture as he's met us in our worship, as he's met us as kids uh, saying with us this morning, he's going to meet us and continue to meet us. So uh, I want to ask you to do something with me and that is pray. And you pray for me and I'll pray for you, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day and that you have given us your son and that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is risen from the dead and that you are alive, Jesus, at the right hand of the Father and that you ascended and sat down and you are now ruling until you make all your enemies your footstool. You're the king of every king, the Lord of every Lord, You are the sovereign over the nations. You are the head of the church. And we know, Holy Spirit, that you're here to make Jesus real to us today and be the teacher, the illuminator, the helper. And so I pray that you would enable me, Holy Spirit, to teach and preach as I ought to in order us to hear the word and and know how to apply it in our lives. We thank you for it in your matchless and beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to say it again. Happy Resurrection Day. Amen. Jesus is risen from the dead. You, you can tell we, most of us in this room don't have much of a traditional church background, right? So at that point, you say he is risen indeed, right? So let's do this again. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Yeah, that's a little better. Some of you are still holdouts. There's rebels in every room. Help us. So today we're going to look at the crucifixion, the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to see that our entire life as disciples, as followers of Jesus, is based on this series of events, this Christ event where God enfleshed himself, that is, he took on a human body and came to the earth in the person of his son, the second person of the Trinity, walked down onto our ground, onto our dirt, and got into our mud with us so that he might rescue us and lift us into heavenly places with himself, forgive us and redeem us and declare us righteous in the sight of his Father. And it's all because of Jesus. And today we're going to look at one story in particular. I'm going to 
lay a foundation, but we're going to look at one story in particular, and it's a, a story of two men, two followers of Jesus, two disciples, who were surprised by Jesus Christ on a road, and that road is called the road to Emmaus, and we're going to look at how that encounter affects our lives and how we can apply what they experienced in our own journey and our own walk with Jesus Christ. So I want to start with the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 33. Notice what it says with me. It says, when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for for they don't know what they're doing. Verse 44, by this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands, and with those words, he breathed his last. Now, just a a quick side note here, something to put in the margins. I want you to notice what it says. It says, by this time, it was about noon. So the sun is in its highest place, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. So for three hours, it was dark. Verse 45 says, and the light from the sun was gone. You know, Jesus described himself as the light of the world. Did you know that? And think about this. When he was born, a star heralded his birth. And in the nighttime, a star led wise men to the birth of Jesus. And now at his death, at high noon, the world becomes dark. Because when the light of the world comes into the world, he lights up the darkness, and when he dies, darkness is the result of his death. He came into the world, and he turned on the switch. When he went out of the world, he turned it off, because he's the light of the world. Amen? And then three days later, this happened. Matthew 28, 1 through 10, says this, early on Sunday morning, I love the language. Early on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, the eighth day, Sunday, the first day of the week, the eighth day. You see, Jews at that time would have, would have had Shabbat, the Sabbath day, on what we would call Saturday. And that would be the end of the week and the gathering together to, to worship Yahweh and to enjoy a meal together, to gather as a family. And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he didn't rise on Sabbath. He rose on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, the eighth day, the the day of new creation, the beginning of a new creation. He inaugurated something completely new. He brought in a completely new order when he rose from the dead. He started something new. And that's why early followers of Jesus, Jews and Gentiles, Jews would celebrate on Saturday and Sunday. And as the church went out into the non-Jewish world, the church began to gather and worship on Sunday. And the reason it did is it was commemorating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so back to the text early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning. Don't you love that? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. 
Is that language funny to anybody other than me? You know, it's almost like you see this angel. I can almost imagine he sits on the stone and he's kind of got his feet up and he's hanging back and he's like, yo, what's up? <laughs> he's just chilling on the stone. I, I, I just love the language. And then it says, his face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come and see the place where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. I think that's also significant. Remember what I told you because have you ever been in a moment of intense excitement and joy and fear and adrenaline and it's really, really easy to forget what somebody is saying to you at that moment because you're so caught up in the moment. So the angel's like, remember what I said. So they run from there. Notice the language. They blah, blah, blah. The women quickly ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened but also filled with great joy. <laughs> okay, yeah. And, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Now that leads to this next story. And this next story is where I really want to camp out today. And this is the story of two men who were followers of Jesus, disciples but not the 11, who decided that same day that they had to get away from everybody and they, they had to process what was going on and they had to get away from Jerusalem. It was dangerous. And, and so we read here, starting in verse 13 of Luke chapter 24, notice what it says. It says, that very day, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? Think about the humor of this. It was all just done to him. He was beaten, crucified, laid in a tomb. He's like, What? I, what are you talking about? He's just messing with him. It's great stuff. This is so human, so real. What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all that, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. 
And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessarily that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Moses is the law, the commandments, the Pentateuch, the first five books of, of, of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So he begins to open up to them the first five books and then he takes them on a journey through the Old Testament prophets and, and over and over he's showing the messianic prophecies and, and himself in type and shadow and when he shows up as a Christophanes or a Theophanes appearance in the Old Testament. So how many of you know that was a great sermon series right there? I would have loved to have been on that. So he takes them through the scripture and he shows them those things concerning himself. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with him. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Psych. <laughs> like I said, there's a, Jesus is messing with them a lot in this text. I mean, there's a lot going on here. Okay, I lost myself. Okay, where did I run up? Was that okay? Okay. They said to each other, "Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road?" while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Seven miles away, it's evening. They're like, I can't sleep. We gotta go back to Jerusalem and tell everybody. So they get up and they probably ran a good part of that, that particular journey. And they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Isn't this a great story? Lord, thank you for your scripture. Let's just go through this now and let's talk about the text and let's talk about how this text applies to our life. And the first thing I want you to notice with these men and and even with us in our lives is, is that the risen Jesus often joins us in disguise when we talk about him. And I'll explain that in a moment. See, if you talk about him, he comes near. Have you ever been in a, maybe a Bible study or you're hanging out with somebody having coffee or you're just chilling out at the church and, and you're with some people that you have a connection with and, and you begin to talk about what God's doing in your life or you begin to talk about what Jesus has been showing you or, or something the scripture is, is impacting, you know, your life is being impacted from scripture with and, and, and as you begin to expound on him and his person and what he's doing in your life, you become aware of him. He shows up. Now, he was there all along, but he makes himself known. That's what happened to them. They were talking about him, and he comes near. And it's true in our own lives as followers of Christ. We need to spend a lot more time talking about Jesus. Because when we do, he's near. It gives him pleasure to come near. See, we don't even know who these two people are. Cleopas was not one of the 11, and we never hear of them again. Do you know that's the only time that that name is ever mentioned? God is so kind and so patient to meet a couple of unbelieving disciples on a walk of despair and turn it into a walk of revelation of Jesus Christ. The risen Jesus is present even when we talk about our doubts concerning him. He comes to clear them up. Think about it. They're sharing their doubts. They're sharing their disappointments. They're sharing that all their world 
had just fallen apart because the one that they thought was the promised Messiah had died. And he's just like, oh, really? He doesn't rebuke him. He's not angry with him. Later, he's like, oh, slow of heart, you know, but, but you never hear anger. He understands our doubts and our wrestlings. But that's not the end of the story. Aren't you glad? And, and Jesus' presence in our own lives, like in this text, is often hidden or disguised. The scripture says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. The Spirit-Filled Life Bible says this, the men are blinded either by their despair or by divine intervention. You know, maybe the Lord was just like cloaking device. You know, they can't recognize me. But the other possibility is that their despair, their discouragement, their hopelessness blinded them. Have you ever been there? I can look back on my own testimony, my own life story, and I can see many times looking back where the Lord was present, but in the moment, He seemed like He had moved to another planet. It seemed like He wasn't hearing my prayers. I was not aware of Him. Scripture, I I would look into Scripture and there'd be times that it it just wasn't speaking to my life. I, I was still in it and I was reading it, but it wasn't like the word, the living word, Jesus was present in it. And yet, later as I looked back through my own story, I could see God was there. Oh, and he was there. Oh, and he met me in that person. Oh, and I remember I read that book. He was there all along. I just couldn't see him. You know, I want to ask you a question. Is despair or discouragement keeping you blind to his presence? Some of you in this room, you may be so despairing, so discouraged that you're not even aware that he's there. Amen. Secondly, the risen Jesus wants us to tell him our deepest heartbreaks, disappointments, and impossible hopes. He wants you to tell him your thoughts and your words. Think about this. He asked them this, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you, as you walk? The Bible exposition commentary says this, there's a touch of humor in Luke 24, 19, when Jesus asked, what things? He had been at the heart of all that happened in Jerusalem, and now he was asking them to tell him what occurred. How patient our Lord is with us as he listens to to us tell him what he already knows. He wants you to tell him what he already knows. You know, I talk to people all the time who are discouraged in their prayer life because they're like, God already knows my needs. Why do I need to pray? He already knows my needs. He already knows what's going on in my life. Why even take the time? I mean, you know, he knows all things, right? So what is the purpose of prayer? Well, the purpose of prayer is relationship. The purpose of prayer is you unburdening your heart to God. He wants to hear you. He draws you. He woos you. He yearns for that connection and that fellowship with you. He actually loves you and likes you and wants to get to know you more. He wants you to experience intimate friendship with Him. Amen. It's true. God's a living God. He's a person. He's not an energy. He's not a force. He's not some just great mind in the sky. He is a person who is intimately acquainted with all your thoughts, hopes, dreams, disappointments, fears, pain, sorrow. He knows all of it, and he wants you to tell him about it. He actually wants to hear you say it. It's not like he's like, you know, Lord, I really messed up this last week and I did this thing, you know, that you don't want me to do. I did it. And God's like, oh, you're kidding me. How could you? 
I had no idea you were doing that. And he's like, yeah, I know. Tell me more. Come on, tell me. What are you talking about? What's going on in your life? He wants us to tell him our heartbreaks and our impossible hopes. They stood still looking sad, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. The disciples shared their hopes that Jesus was the promised king and Messiah, and those hopes were crushed. These disciples heard that Jesus had risen, but they hadn't seen him, and it seemed impossible to them. Yet you can hear the hope in them. There's like something behind the scenes. You, you kind of read between the lines, as it were, and you recognize when they started to hear stories that maybe he was risen, there's this thing, and I'm like, oh, it could probably never happen. I mean, after all, there's no precedent. Nobody's ever done this before. And you might say, yeah, well, I've heard stories of people that came back from the dead, you know, crossed over and came back. Maybe that's true. People that have had near-death experiences have been dead for a short period of time and they've come back. But let me just remind you, they died later again or they will die later again. But Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he's still alive and he's at the right hand of the Father and he rules all of creation. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He's over all things. He's the king of the nations. He's the Lord of creation. When he ascended on high, he asked the Father for the nations and his Father said, you betcha. Paraphrasing. Right? So when Jesus, you know, when, when, when Jesus shows up and, and they begin to unburden their hearts to him, there's this little bit of hope there. You can, you can hear it in them. It's like, oh, we, we heard that the women said they, they, they saw him and we've heard that the, yeah, the tomb is empty and, and they're like, oh, I hope it's true because hope is a powerful thing. Drake Bear in What Good is Hope says this, humans seek after hope like moths seek after light. It's intrinsic to who we are. Neuroscientist Tali Sharat argues hope is so essential to our survival that it is hardwired into our brains, arguing it can be the difference between living a healthier life versus one trapped by despair. Studies show that hopeful college kids get higher GPAs and are more likely to graduate. Hopeful athletes perform better on the field, cope better with injuries, and have greater mental adjustment when situations change. And in one study of the elderly, those who said they felt hopeless were more than twice as likely to die during the study follow-up period than those who were more hopeful. It's pretty clear. Hope is a powerful catalytic And why Dr. Shane Lopez, the psychologist who is regarded as the world's leading researcher on hope, claimed that hope isn't just an emotion, but an essential life tool. They had hope. They were holding out for this idea that a man could rise from the dead, that Jesus was the Messiah, which takes me to this point. The risen Jesus reveals himself to us in the scriptures and the everyday things of life. In verses 25 through 35, we see these two things. We, we see that Jesus reveals himself to us in Scripture, and we see that he revealed himself to them in the breaking of the bread. And I want to talk about those two things. First, he reveals himself in Scripture. I already brought this up a few minutes ago, but it says in verse 27 that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures all things concerning himself. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us 
while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. I mean, think about it. He starts in Genesis. He goes through the law of Moses and he journeys through the Old Testament prophets. You can imagine, he goes to Genesis 1.1 and he begins to quote him, in the, beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And he's like, oh, by the way, guys, I'm the light of the world. Oh, and God said, I'm the word. Oh, um, later my disciple John is going to write, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so he begins to expound on the reality that he's all through the Old Testament scriptures over and over again. He's the one who is in the garden, walking with him in the cool of the day. He's the one who is in the sacrificial system. He's the lamb being slain, right? He's the one who shows up over and over again in these Old Testament appearances. He, he walks with Abraham and speaks with him about what he's about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's there throughout, throughout the prophets as they speak of him again and again. David mentions him in Psalm 22 and Psalm 69. In Psalm 22, the suffering one who will die on the cross. Isaiah speaks of him as the suffering servant in Isaiah 50. 52 and 53, and throughout the book of Isaiah, over and over again, we see Jesus, and Jesus is laying out to them himself in the whole of Scripture. Over 300 prophecies about him were spoken of in the Old Testament, and every one of them came to pass in detail. Come on. So this is quite the sermon, and you can imagine there. They're just kind of rocking and reeling at what they're seeing about Jesus, but they still don't recognize it's him. And then he awaited their invitation to stay. He awaits our invitation. Look, he's already invited you. He's inviting you today. He's inviting you to his banqueting table. His banner over you is love. He wants you to feast on his person and his presence, but he's looking for your invitation Verse 28 says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. You see the game? It's not a game. He's drawing them, he's wooing them, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. He acted as if he was going farther to provoke desire and a response from his disciples. He wanted them to ask him to stay. Jesus works with our human will and does not force himself upon us. He knew that they were being overwhelmed with his presence, but he still awaited their invitation. He awaits your invitation. You ever been in a time in your life when you were so hungry for his presence that all you could do is say, stay, Lord. Don't go, come on. I mean, we know he's always present, right? We know he indwells us, but that awareness of his presence, that God is real, that he's, again, a person who wants you to say, Lord, I need you. 
I want you. I can't do this without you. I can't live without you. You're my breath. You're my food. You're my drink. You're my all in all. I'm tired of trying to do life in my own energy, strength, and wisdom. I don't want to do this. That's a failure. We know what that is. That's man setting himself up as God. That's the original sin. That's the pride of the human race. I don't want to do life anymore apart from you because as C.S. Lewis said, you are my fuel. I run on you. I can't do anything else without you. And that's where they were at something about his presence and him sharing through scripture and walking along with him they were like who i don't know who this is this all feels familiar but i love this presence please don't go you ever been there and then he revealed himself to them in the breaking of the bread so profound he reveals himself to us in the everyday things of life And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it, spoke a Hebraic blessing over it. He broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they told him what had happened on the road and he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I don't know what happened. Jesus had broke bread with him probably hundreds of, maybe thousands of times over three years. Bread was a part of just about every meal in a Jewish home. And they were always breaking bread. And we remember just a few days before that, the Last Supper was shared. And it says he broke the bread. And he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant my blood poured out for you. And so he had already done this. But here was, here's what I think maybe happened. He broke the bread and showed him his hands. And here were his pierced hands, and all of a sudden they're like, it happened. The light came. He broke in on their world. And then he vanished. Wow. He took the common and the average and he made it uncommon and miraculous. Now, this is really important. Before I move on, I I just want to talk about this. You see, one of the problems we have in our current culture is that most of us learn how to compartmentalize our lives. Anybody good at compartmentalizing? And so if you see life like a pie, we have this little piece of pie here we call our faith or God or church And then we have all these other slices of the pie, our job, our family, our marriage, money, recreation, sex life, whatever. And we think, you know, God gets this piece of the pie and the rest of it belongs to me. And I can consume it as I will. But that's not a biblical picture of life at all. The reality is is he owns the whole pie. It all belongs to him. And every piece touches the other. And so we wrongly think sometimes that we're being spiritual when we're here singing songs or reading our Bible or we're praying with somebody. That's, that's spiritual, but the rest of it, mommies and daddies changing poopy diapers, that's not spiritual. God's not in that. The laborer who's doing his job, working a lot of overtime and struggling with the fact that he doesn't get recognized or she doesn't get recognized the people who are going through the everyday rhythms of life and and struggling. 
You think God's not in any of this, but what the incarnation, that is God becoming a man, shows us above all else is that he's in all of it. He's at your workplace with you. When you eat bread, he's with you. When you eat sugared cereal, he's with you, mostly. Right? We went to dinner last night, and I had some creme brulee. I shared it with my daughter. I know, right? And I believe Jesus was right there in that moment with me, blessing that creme brulee, even if my tummy did bother me afterward. You see, we have to see that he cares about the common and the everyday because he's the God who incarnated himself. He's the God who comes down here and gets in our stuff with us. He understands your life. He's not, you know, the the problem with so many of our depictions and our ideas of Jesus is they make him some, and he is otherworldly. He's transcendent. He's outside of his creation, but he's also imminent and near, and he's right down here with you and me and our stuff. And he really cares about it, the common stuff. And so he's not divorced from any of your activities. He's right in it. Amen? And when they broke the bread, when he broke the bread, they recognized him. See, we need to see him in every part of our life because he's there and it counts. And lastly, he'll open our eyes. He'll open your eyes and it'll cause you to recognize him. See, the common theme that runs throughout this entire story is that Jesus, the risen Jesus, is often unrecognized by us even when he's close at hand. Think about that. And yet he's here. And if the worship team could come, and I just want to tell those of you that are part of the ministry team if you'll be ready as well. You see, he wants to open eyes today. Because, look, I'm... I'm just going to play some uh, percentages here, okay? But I can tell you in a crowd like this, there's a little more than about 300 people here in this room right now and in the back, so there's around 300 or so people here. In a, in a group this large, there's a number of you in this room that are really struggling right now. There's some of you in this room that are so discouraged. Some of you that are followers of Jesus that are Christians, but you're just about out, There's some more of you that you're on this journey where you have never really come to faith in Jesus, but you're close. You're close to the kingdom. Maybe it's been Christians and churches that have really messed it up for you. They've got in the way, and so you're blinded because God's people have got in the way of him. But I want to assure you that on the other side of God's people's screw-ups is a perfect, pure, lovely, amazing Jesus Christ. So maybe right on the other side of that mess, you're a lot closer to the kingdom than you realize. And you've even told yourself, your self-talk is like, I can't go to church, I can't be around them, because not only am I not worthy, but those people aren't like me. They don't know what I'm like. Now, that's not true. Actually, you'd be shocked at the people in this room. (laughs) Sorry. I'm one of them. You see, he knows you. Maybe you're here and you have walked with him at some point in the past. And you've wandered. You've wandered off the road. You've got over in the weeds. And maybe an addiction's got its hooks back in you. Or 
a really unhealthy relationship's messing you up or but something has got you and, and you're just like, I, I'm too far away, I've done too much that I'm ashamed of and I can't come back and I want to tell you that all of it's a lie. And the truth is, he's running after you. He's the one who chases you. The fact that you're here, the fact that you're drawing, you're, you're being drawn to him is all his work. He's the initiator. You're just responding. And he's after you. You're beloved to him. He wants you. He died for you. He was buried and took your death. He rose again, and you rise with him when you believe him. He offers a new life. He offers forgiveness of sins. I don't know about you, but we need to be forgiven. I mean, I shared a little bit of my own testimony in the first service, but you need to know I stand up here today as one who's very aware of what I've been rescued from and continue to get rescued from. I look back in my life and I see his fingerprints, his handiwork everywhere. I see how many times he saved me from death. I grew up in a home where my mom had me at 15 and my dad was involved in drug trafficking and all kinds of other stuff. The first five years of my life, I was around five to six years of my life, I was around criminal activity and killers and really brutal stuff. I remember vaguely being a little boy and being at parties where people were tripping on all kinds of stuff. I remember being in a car one time when another car wrecked in front of us and went into a canyon and helicopters coming. I remember being around death and destruction. I remember as a teenager when I walked away and I got into all kinds of sex, drugs, and rock and roll and I got into stuff that was destroying my life and at 16 I overdosed and I almost died and over and over again I had interventions. People were there. Angels sent by God. I don't know what it was. So many times I can look back and say I should have been dead there and there and there but for some reason God preserved my life. Well this is the reason we're here today and the resurrected Christ is in our midst. And his heart is for you. There's nobody beyond his reach. Nobody beyond hope in his saving power. He lives. And he lives among us. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for everybody in this room. And Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would reach everybody in this room. And Lord, may we linger today in your presence in an awareness that you're alive, Jesus. And may that awareness continue throughout the days and the weeks and the months and the years ahead. May we live a life under your glory that is constantly reminded that you live and that you're with us and you're near us. Now I pray you'd bless your people here in this room. And I say to you, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go with God. He goes with you. God bless you. Have a great day in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. And don't forget to let us pray for you. God bless.